welcome to a new episode of A Fire Inside Out. My name is Ben Hansen, and I'm joined by the great, lonely Jeff Cork. Oh, yeah, this <laughs> band really speaks to me. <laughs> it's perfect. Uh, this is a podcast where we run down each and every album released by the band AFI. It's true. Known as A Fire Inside. Uh, this week. Yes. We are traveling back in time. We're going. Aren't we always, though? But whatever. Yeah, but this time in particular to a specific date. And that date is March 11th, 2003. March 11th, 2003. Why that date? Because this is the date <gasps> where AFI released their sixth studio album. Oh! Sing the Sorrow. Oh, sh. Sing the Sorrow? Yeah. Is the one we're doing this week? Yeah, yeah. Why, what do you, what do you write I've been listening to a completely different one. Oh, my God. You tried it's, pulling that joke earlier. Did except I? Except you used Sing the Sorrow as the one that you had listened to. No, this was uh, Sad, the live album. Okay. So. <laughs> there is a live thing coming up that I totally want to cover with you okay. as, a, as a special bonus episode. Okay. But this week we're covering Sing the Sorrow. Yeah. A big, grand, weird divisive divisive album from afi because okay let's go back in time even further to the last episode of this show yeah remember they had that hot topic single that was kind of a tease to what they were cooking up three three six yeah they were cooking up at dreamworks right right now this is the full dreamworks release yep before we start going through some of the history of the production of this album and all Mm -hmm. that other fun stuff i just want to cut right to it cork Listening to AFI for the first time in the year 2015, what do you think of Sing the Sorrow? This album? Yes. Easily the best so far. Wow! Yeah. Easily. Easily. You have given no indication. We've been working right next to each other for weeks. It's been really hard not to talk about it. I really like this album. You're really excited about this album. I'm really excited about this album. You like the direction? You like the songs in particular? I like a little of both. Okay. Yeah. Um, I know, uh, like when... Going back to that 336 thing. Sure. Uh, I was kind of weirded out by the direction at the time. Right. I was like, ooh, this is kind of... I remember we discussed it. It was kind of like, well, the fans are really not going to like this, right? Yeah, You, you yeah. talked about how divisive it was. Sure. And, um, and I was kind of on the fence. I was like, ah, I don't know how this is going to be. I was completely surprised, honestly, at my reaction to this album. That's really interesting. So can you compare the dread of having to listen to more AFI on previous albums versus this album? Do you actually, did you want to keep listening to this one? Oh yeah, for sure. And, and it, honestly, even the albums that were kind of a bummer right. overall did not like dampen my enthusiasm for listening to the next album. I, Cause I really have enjoyed the progression. Sure. And even if this was a, like a hot turd, sure. I'd be like, well, I'm curious to see what, what flavor it is next? Hot turd it is. <laughs> Hot, Hot turd for everybody. Exactly. Well, that's interesting to me because you were left so numb by the three three six vinyl, which is like and now the world and uh, Reaver's music mm-hmm. that I was really expecting you to come in equally numb to sing the sorrow. Really? Yeah, yeah. Because I, I honestly, I, I, I kind of agree. I was expecting the same. Huh. And this one, honestly, listening to it for the first time, it grabbed me immediately. And only uh, released its grip a couple of times. But then it grabbed me back. Good God. All right. Yeah, interesting. Uh, well, we're gonna really... you, well, how about you? You're, you're asking me. We'll get to that. I'll save my thoughts for the very oh, end. Oh, boy. Now I'm for just the... vulnerable and exposed here. That's right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to back away from what I said if you hate this one. <laughs> Sorry. But let's go into the production of this album a little bit. Yeah. So AFI in interviews, they said, uh, they had an interesting way of phrasing it. Whereas with this album, they said this is the first time that they had the machine behind them. 
Okay. Uh, the machine of the music industry, mm -hmm. namely DreamWorks, the huge label. They broke the shackles of Nitro, theoretically, with Dexter Holland's blessing. Uh, they're moving on to bigger and better things. It seems things. like he unlocked the shackles and kicked them out the door. Go on, get. It was basically the <laughs> end of Harry get. and the Hendersons. Yeah. <laughs> so with this one, they have two big wig producers. Yeah. One is named Jerry Finn. Mm -hmm. The other is Butch, Butch Vig. He's kind of a big deal. You know his name? Yeah. Oh, cool. All right. He so, produced Nevermind, which is kind of a big album. That's exactly it. Yeah. He so was he, in Garbage. He yeah, he was band. in Garbage uh, and Spooner. Mm -hmm. uh, he produced Siamese, or, yeah, Siamese Dream by the Smashing Pumpkins, Jimmy Eat World, some of their albums, mm -hmm. Green Days, 21st Century Breakdown. But probably his biggest album is Nirvana's Nevermind. Yeah. Um, which is interesting because I, I think this is even from Wikipedia, so take it with a grain of salt. But apparently some of the feedback that Kurt Cobain had on Nevermind's production was that he thought it all sounded way too slick. Uh, he wanted it to have more of a raw feel, but Jerry or uh, Butch Vig likes to really fine tune these things, apparently. Mm -hmm. That's kind of his style. And Jerry Finn, the other guy, he comes from a little bit more of a hardcore background, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so he produced Rancids and Outcome the Wolves, uh, Bad Religion's Process of Belief, some Offspring albums. Uh, Sparta's Wiretap Scars, which is a great album. And then also stuff like Blink-182, MXPX, Alkaline Trio. Um, a lot of that stuff. A lot and of that pop punk that's kind right. of stuff. And so the way that the alternative press described this collaboration between Jerry Finn and AFI, mm -hmm. um, they described Sing the Sorrow as a landmark in the post-hardcore genre. And that mm. none of it would have been possible had Jerry Finn not manned the boards and polished the band's previously metallic sound into spike-covered punk rock candy cane. Those were my exact thoughts. I'm going to scratch <laughs> that spiky candy cane. Yeah, so you manned the boards in this podcast. Right, right. In a metallic kind of way is yeah. what I'm going for, typically. Are you turning knobs and moving sliders? Constantly. Okay. I'm overproducing the bejesus out of this wow. thing. Yeah, Can you, you add reverb to my voice? Oh, my God. Reverb music? Yeah. So, anyways, um, there is a video on YouTube that all AFI fans should check out. I'd never seen it before, and in researching this episode of the podcast, I found it. Um, but it is them actually recording Sing the Sorrow. So, if you type in just like AFI pre-production Sing the Sorrow, it's maybe five minutes, somewhere around there. I wish it was a hell of a lot longer. It's one of those frustrating things hmm. where like, you see, oh my God, cameras were rolling during the production of Sing the Sorrow. What are people doing with that footage? Why isn't all of that out ah, there? What's even more frustrating about that is that you didn't tell me about that, you dingus. So oh, I have not seen that. I would love to have watched that. Yeah, it's not uh, the most comprehensive. It's barely in like a documentary format. It's kind of right. strung together B-roll. And almost. yeah, you just recommended that everyone listen to it. That's right. Or the watch it, the hardcore fans, not the rookies like you, Cork. <laughs> uh, but if you want to see Davey singing without his shirt off, which apparently without all of Sing the Sorrow. Without his shirt off? Yeah. So with his shirt on? Wait, no. His shirt is completely off. Oh, my God. He lights it on fire in the beginning of the video. Um, but it's fun to actually see them interact with the producers, which every AFI fan, I think, or the hardcore older fans, was on the edge of their seat. Like, oh, these producers, like, how much sway do they have in the yeah. recording process? All that kind of fun stuff. And you actually get to see like their feedback. Like, ah, there's one part where they're talking to the band. They're like, you know, having the word like sung in this part of the song, it just sounds a little bit awkward. Mm -hmm. And then Hunter's like, yeah, yeah, it's a good point. He's the bassist. He's like, yeah. yeah. Actually, I was thinking that same thing, but then we just did it so much that I didn't really notice it sounding awkward anymore. So mm. even that little interaction, yeah. like, oh, they moved that word from this part of the song to the other part of the song. There yeah. it is. That's how they're changing AFI. Hunter's um, a notorious people pleaser, too, it sounds like. That's right. Anything you want, Mr. Fig. <laughs> um, so with 
Sing the Sorrow. They were in the studio for five months. It was much, much more pre-production than they've ever done five before. Five months in the studio? Five months in the studio That's recording That's a long-ass time. Yeah, for sure. That was an ex- must have been a ridiculously expensive album. Could be. When it's all said and done. Yeah, I think it definitely paid off. It ended up being really popular. But I, in the in some interviews around this time, they're talking about working with the producers. And Jade mentioned something that I don't think we really touched on in the Art of Drowning episode. But I don't think it's really well known out there. But apparently... The producer of Art of Drowning was named Chuck Johnson, mm-hmm. and Jade was saying that it was really a miserable experience having a producer on that one. Uh, so I don't know if it was just something about his style or they clashed. Who knows how much influence he actually had over Art of Drowning, but they were dreading the idea of working with producers because of that. And then, believe it or not, during interviews in 2003, they said, but these producers now are just the best. Oh, good. And this is the best album ever, um, which the critics would agree with. Uh, and you mentioned... Like, I did a little bit of research, too, Please. for the first time. This was like a, what, reached the top five? Yeah, so... On Billboard? Yeah, it did really How well. Did, okay, what was the lead single? Like, I honestly <laughs> had... This wasn't even a blip on my radar. I bet at some point in 2003, you were driving around and you heard Girls Not Grey on the radio. Okay. Girls Not Grey was the biggest and the first single released. Okay. Um, So, I think that was the one that had the most spread. I remember hearing way too much of it at the time. But, yeah, so six and a half weeks after the release of the album, it went gold and then platinum is what I wrote down in my notes. I don't Mm. know if that makes sense. But for some reviews, New York Times uh, listed as one of the top ten albums of 2003, saying, AFI broke through artistically with this ridiculously melodic and ambitious CD of goth pop punk that should have been received as the mainstream rock masterpiece it was. Mm-hmm. Rolling Stone says Sing the Sorrow is a dark planet that refracts various strains of rock. Uh, reviewers are just the worst, aren't they, Greg? Yeah. Various strains of rock, from punk to hardcore to metal to mope rock. Mope and, rock. And beckons <laughs> everyone to twist and shout along as the whole house burns. Twist and shout? What the f*** is that? God damn it. Look, Rolling they're, Stone. Yeah, they're, they're doing a lot of nonsense. Uh, so Adam, Carson the drummer, uh-huh. I think they say this every time, but... Guy Normal. Guy Normal. Like yeah, Guy Normal. Uh, around this time, he was talking about how Sing the Sorrow is like the first album that after it was released, he doesn't immediately hate it. He actually still likes all the songs <laughs> on it, which might give an indication of why they kept going a little bit in this yeah. direction. Uh, also, April 11th, 2003, like a month after the album was released, mm-hmm. uh, was when I first saw AFI. Really? At The Quest in downtown Minneapolis. Uh, and they were playing with The Explosion and Blood Brothers. Okay. And Blood Brothers was a band that like a couple of my friends listened to. And it wasn't that I knew them at the time. But then this concert really turned me around. And especially their next album, which was Crimes, which I loved a lot. Uh, and then I ended up really, really liking that band. So I think a lot of it just came from seeing them connected to AFI. Right on. But even at this time with AFI, I remember the crowd constantly yelling, old shit. Like that was like the recurring chant. Old shit, old shit. Is yeah, that what the chant was for real. Yeah, they wanted them to play older stuff. Oh, that was not literally the chant. They were calling out songs that were older. They wanted them to play older shit. Right, but they weren't just saying old shit, old shit, right? Yeah, they were. I think so. That was their literal chant. I'm pretty sure. That's a really good one. If if that's the yeah, case. I think it's very deliberate. Yeah, yeah, it's like Hemingway's chants. <laughs> great no job. word wasted. That's right. Uh, so that was. April 11, 2003, when I first saw AFI. Mm-hmm. Uh, May 19th, yeah. 2003. We're just going through the months. Uh, kind of in a weird order. In a weird order. But uh, a coworker of ours, Kyle Hilliard, 
what? saw AFI. Really? Not only did he see AFI. No. But he got to meet Davey Havoc and have him sign his ticket, which I have Sir showing David to you now. Havoc? We, this is his autograph right here. I really can't see it, but I'm mouth agape. <laughs> yeah, he's not the biggest AFI fan, but somehow he got Davey's autograph, which I'm very jealous of. Did he just mumble, hey, can you, whatever? If you want to sign my hair, <laughs> something, something. All right, should we dive into the actual thing of this album? Let's do that. The whole thing, which is... The whole kit and caboodle. Every song. We're going to run down them all. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the first song, Miseria Cantare, and then parentheses, The Beginning, yes. just to make it quite clear. Um, I remember listening to this song over and over again. It's so connected in my mind with sitting back and trying to figure out what I think about this album and AFI's new direction. Mm-hmm. Um, we could listen to it from the beginning, but that seems redundant because... Every episode of this podcast starts with this song. I guess you didn't know that at this point. Yeah, I haven't listened to the podcast I know. Yet. We've been recording in a secret isolation chamber, so we have not released any of them as of the time of this recording, just so that your viewpoints aren't We are uh, taking all your feedback very seriously. Though. Well, we will. <laughs> we will in the future once we get out of our dumb bubble, which yeah. we could after this episode or maybe so? the next one. Yeah. All right. But let's listen to a little bit of like when Davey starts singing in right. Miseria Cantare. At this point, Cork, mm-hmm. what do you think of this introduction song? At the very beginning, yeah, because you know the music that people hear, it's very kind of deliberate going sure. in there, and it's got a big bell, right? and I was kind of like, uh, "Uh oh," <laughs> you know, it was, I didn't know if it was going to be one of those like ridiculously long intros that just kind of wanders around, and then the second song hits, sure, turning the first track into just a an immediate like. Stop, like, get out of the way. You oh, the art of drowning syndrome for you? Yeah. yeah, quite possibly that. Sure. But the intro is great. Once the oh, cool. like the drum kicks in, I think it's a, a really strong intro. Um, and I think it's really good, too, because you, you always talk about kind of that tribal mentality that right. AFI has sure. among the fans. I think this seems to me like the most effective chant that kind of encapsulates that philosophy. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you, you literally have them saying... You are now one of us. So, I mean, that <laughs> no way in and of itself. But it just seems like a really cool... And you, even though it's got a bell, let's make no mistake, they're not a Halloween band. Hey, look, we ain't no <laughs> Halloween band. <laughs> oh, yeah, so here's some of the lyrics from the first song. Obviously, nothing from nowhere. I'm no one at all. Radiate, recognize, one silent call as we all form one dark flame. Uh, love your hate, your faith lost. Use your aggressive feelings, boy. Let the hate flow through you. If you will not be turned, you will be destroyed. Your feeble skills are no match for the dark side. Um, so a lot of good... Sorry, that was, I transitioned to Palpatine's quote from Return of the Jedi. <laughs> Sorry, that was a dumb joke. But I do like uh, around like two minutes in this song when they start layering the chorus in there. I'm always... Throughout this entire album, I think they do a really good job of coming back for the second verse and just adding that new layer to oh, yeah. change up the sound. Absolutely. That's like a big recurring theme. But here is here it is in the first song. Ready, 
that part right there that yeah. you, as you faded out it the first few times i heard it it sounded to me like you like they were singing stop running your xbox <laughs> what the hell <laughs> you, are you talking about listen to it again okay stop running, running your, your xbox. xbox you okay. are now one of us <laughs> all right here we go xbox there yeah okay i can see it they, they get to be a big dumbass i guess to hear that, <laughs> yeah hey there's no dumbasses here man we all hear it just sharing my feelings way. yeah i get it uh listen to this song again <laughs> I, I really I like this song a lot. It does get me really excited to listen to this album. It's like, a really good starting song too, because yeah. it, it's like a nice build up. And I mean, we're gonna talk about the next song pretty quickly. Yeah, but it just leads like, and I'm gonna revisit this time and time again. I'm sure, but this album is like perfectly sequenced. Like, oh, interesting. Yeah, I think that every song sags into the next one really well, and it's this is like. An example of how you can kind of have songs thematically go to the next one and it sounds great without having a fade that kind of slips into the next song as well, which I don't like as much. I mean, I wonder if a lot of that just comes from, you could call it the overproduction of the album, Mm -hmm. like being so obsessed with the tiniest details of this thing that song transitions are probably a big part of that, I'd imagine. Yeah, and, and like I said, just making sure that like songs seem like they have a home next to the like the previous song and the next. It's just mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's great. Definitely. Well, I have a lot more to say about that later. Okay. But uh, next song is "Leaving Song Part Two. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you might have heard this song in Madden NFL 2004, uh-huh. or you might have heard it as one of the downloadable tracks from Rock Band. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. And I misspoke. Like, and I think of the first episode of this mm-hmm. podcast, I said. You know, you've secretly played through an AFI song. You just don't know it because you're a big rock uh, band guy. But I think this is one that you have to buy. Okay. Whereas Girls Not Gray is actually bundled in Rock Band 2. Interesting. So at, for sure you've played Girls Not Gray. This song point. totally seems like it should be in one of the Tony Hawk games. Yeah. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Uh, so let's move on. That was Leaving <laughs> Song Part 2. No, let's, let's check this out here. Go, Can you fade back in real quick? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I just want to point something out. Sure. It? Just. So that guitar part. Yeah. In that, like the, I think it's after like the third kind of blah blah. <laughs> sure. It, it's, 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 this this is what it reminded me of. Okay. I okay. I do my high tech, putting the phone next to the microphone. Are you All ready? All right. Yeah. I love these raw comparisons. Yeah. Okay. Huh. All right. Van Halen's Eruption? Ain't Talking About Love. Oh, Ain't Talking About Love. Okay. Yeah. So, so play, it, play it again. All right. We're talking about like right here? We're talking about right here? We're talking about right here. Okay, so not here. All right. Not here. Okay, listen right here. I can hear I I can't hear it. You might not be able to hear it. That's like immediately like... It's weird because with these headphones on, it sounds prominent. When I'm listening to sure. it in my car, it's like clear as day. 
<laughs> and that makes you want to listen. So maybe to everyone song. should listen to the song in my car. Is what I'm trying to say. I would really like to know what these background voices are saying during this whole part. They're whispering something. Oh. Yeah. And also doing background vocals on this album is Jeff Krizge, the old guitar player. Oh. And even though that sounds like a lady in there, maybe it's Jeff. Oh, okay. Whispering back from the dead. Uh, there you go. Who can say? I think this is a fine song to kind of kick things off. Yep, I agree. And it's, I think, a great example because right in a row you have Sir David Havoc shouting, <laughs> rapping, right. singing, and then doing a little spoken word. Yeah, here, here's that spoken word here. Whispering spoken word. Yeah. Yeah, that's something that really stands out to me for this entire album is just how much of a range there is throughout the entire album and then even just song to song. Mm -hmm. uh, how many different pitches he's hitting with his voice. It all sounds very experimental. Yeah. And the big thing is that it's never quite the screaming the way that he used to. But mm -hmm. he goes for so many different types of screamings. Uh, here's them kicking back in and him kind of getting aggressive again. So much That's rage. classic screaming. <laughs> Pretty classic screaming. Yeah. Um, I'm not overwhelmed by the song. It's a, it's kind of a tough one to sing in mm -hmm. rock band. It's like, oh, I want to sing AFI. It's going to be great. And it's like, oh, it's a lot of screaming. Oh, I didn't band. think about that component. That is not a good singer's song. Yeah, it's really it's really not great for that. But that is the leaving song part two. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, lyrically, it's about a lover witnessing a destroyed man, that type of thing. Yeah. Basically, uh, all of Sing the Sorrow. Same old song and dance yeah so speaking of dancing for this song what? they made a music video they did and it was the second one released for sing the sorrow uh it was also directed by mark webb mm -hmm. who did the days of the phoenix video and then went on to do amazing spider-man and 500 days of summer all that fun stuff yes um this video it's pretty unremarkable to me i think it shows that afi and music videos they want to open trunks Right. And they like to open boxes and fiddle with latches and all that kind of stuff. Right. In the beginning, it starts out with like people like, getting out of the car and it's kind of like, oh, okay, they're still sucking with their Tarantino love affair yeah, from way back in the day. Big old long ass car. Right, right. But then the rest is just them performing for some punk kids that are kind of throwing at each other. There's one sequence, there's one shot where like one of the kids is like hovering above the crowd mm -hmm. as they're all in this mosh pit. Well, it's funny too because it's like in a big like old timey ballroom. Right. And the band is all, they're all like, Davey's wearing uh, like white gloves and kind of oh a, they love like that suit type thing yeah all dressed yeah. to the nines sure and this is the most well organized little mosh pit I've ever seen because they're in a, like a perfect square and there's like tons of room on either side sure on all sides actually they could all just go stand in separate parts of the room and be totally fine it's they absolutely have to touch true. each other and if you watch this video now when I say this watch yeah. this video again and it's really funny. It's almost like they deliberately wanted to obscure the drummer as much as possible. Like, <laughs> like when they're positioning the camera. Oh, yeah. Like, like, get cool looking Davey in front of the Davey's like blocking it. Or like, so there'll be like a shot of the band and like uh -huh. symbol is just right in the middle of his face. <laughs> there, then there's like a couple shots where you see him and you're like, oh, this guy's totally like Ringo. He's just like totally happy. <laughs> and then you're like, but maybe he was always just looking directly at the camera lens. He's like the janitor <laughs> in the British office. Yep. Like every time he walks on frame, they can't stop it. Yeah. It's like 90% of the time for real. It's like, 
he's on stage, but something is in the way of preventing <laughs> from you from seeing him. I like my music videos with some sort of storyline or something you could really use to describe the video. And this yeah. uh, fancy mosh pit. Yeah. I will say, too. Yeah. Davey Hathaway, he looks like uh, they managed to secure Ali Sheedy from Breakfast Club. Oh, okay. <laughs> he looks exactly like her in that movie. He's Man. got, like, really long hair. I guarantee before he's, he's had, a like, huge fan of her. Because he had, like, the hardcore flop. Yep. Before. Now it's just, like, flowing tresses. Yeah, it's really beautiful, especially in the Silver and Cold video, which... Oh, my gosh. We'll get to in a little bit. Hey, one more thing. Yeah. This was 2003. Yeah. Very, like, ahead of its time, video ends with a mic drop. Ooh, that's true. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. just drops it, doesn't care. Before now that's such anybody a in the world had ever dropped a microphone. On purpose. That's right. Yeah. He did it like he just didn't care. It wasn't like a fumbling, like he was trying to put it back in the stand. David doesn't fumble. Jay doesn't fumble. He has the coolest moment of the video where he does a little sweet guitar spin. Oh, yeah. He spins all the way around. He's like, hey, Mark, director, get over here. Yeah. (laughs) If you point the camera over here. I'm going to tangle my feet in this, but it'll be (laughs) worth it. Cool. So the next song is Bleed Black. Mm -hmm. And I could uh, play the leaked version, which is a different song that we covered in the last episode but we're gonna go to the actual bleed black yes um this is the song where davy's woe count gets up to two Whoa! uh <laughs> we're at number two get your yeah. mind for that um but let's take a little bit of a listen to bleed black let's do it Okay, real quick. Yeah. Would you indulge me and play a little bit of the leaked version just so I can contrast it? Okay. I mean, it's pretty similar. I don't Mm -hmm. know why you want to be so redundant, but here, let me... This is just for my own weirdness. World War II is very important to me. World War II is Was this part of the, the that we listened to it in the podcast, right? That's right. Okay. Yeah, this is the masterpiece. Bad Wildcats. So they actually did not release this, like, it was not an actual leak, right? You know, I'm pretty sure AFI had no connection to... No, but, okay, but, like, there was not a unreleased version of Bleed Black ahead of time, aside from this. (laughs) No, it was was just, it was just that one. December Underground leaked, because they had, like, a live listening party, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. All right, anyway. Yeah, so, Bleed Black, what'd you think of Bleed Black? This song... Yeah. Uh... It was like I'm very selfish. Sure. This song did exactly what I wanted it to do, exactly when I wanted it to do it. Huh. It's like when I hear a song for the first time, I kind of like have my hopes and dreams attached to it. Okay. This one, like the way it started, is like, oh, it's doing one of these kind of things. And then every step of the way, it was like, awesome. Go, really? You should do this. And it, like, like a band, um, an artist I think does this a lot similarly is, uh, Frank um, Black? Bleed Black. Like, <laughs> some yeah. of his music does the same thing, where I just kind of, I'm anticipating what I want to hear. Sure. And then when it lines up, it's it's just one of the best feelings around. So anyway. What 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 tone did you want it to take, or what were, like, the big notes that it hit that you were really hoping for? Honestly, if you just listen to it, sure. it, it is, I like the, like, that kind of, the just the drum intro that you're really stripped down, and then building up into something more interesting. Yeah, yeah. And it just seems like it's a nice build. The breakdown 
Yeah, we can. We want to listen to it first. Yeah, let's listen to the breakdown. All right. This isn't really a breakdown, but it's a sad down. It's a sad down. <laughs> on that mm-hmm. and this is like this one took me a couple of listens to 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 get used to it because this okay. kind of took a like a weird turn for me sure and it totally grew on me this is i don't want to spoil anything but i'm going to just all right say this is probably my favorite song on the really album. god yeah. i never would have guessed that here's yeah. uh woe number three by the way okay I guess we call them woes, like AFI does so it's, many other woes. It's more of a, that one's more of an O. It's, oh. I, guess, I guess it's just straight up O. Yeah, you're totally right. All right. My beef with this song, I guess. Okay. Uh, overthinking it probably a little bit too much. Uh, it's a pretty sad, sacky song. Mm-hmm. Uh, the lyrics are pretty dark. You know, this stuff like, uh, I am destroyed by the inside. I disassociate. I hope to destroy the outside. It will alleviate and elevate me like water flowing into lungs. I'm flowing through these days as morphine cuts through deadened veins. Um, so it is a dark, sad song. Mm-hmm. And previously they talked about how the change in their tone Davey was happy with because it better aligned the lyrics and the music yeah they're saying like oh the music was always like too upbeat and punk rock mm-hmm. uh, and it didn't match like the dark lyrics that we originally had in some of the earlier songs and with this one it seems like a different version of the same problem where they're singing really dark stuff yeah. and then like the chorus is just the super poppy listen oh listen. it's incredibly poppy yeah yeah like the background vocals during the chorus here like that listen listen yeah it's like for something so dark it's just disconnected in a different way than they normally do mm-hmm. and i think like speaking lyrically sure you've got that kind of uh part where the music just kind of goes away and super stripped down yeah um that lyrically is on its own could be just they could have just blown it but i think that the music elevates it okay really well Okay, like, like for the as a whole, Yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah, I can see it. Wow, I didn't expect you to love Bleed Black so much. Yeah, I love it's interesting. This song. All right, moving on to the next song, Silver and Cold, which is the third single that they ended up releasing for this. Uh, it's also known as that one song that's the Mopey Piano song. Um, opens with the sound of rain and thunder for the first time yep. since the All Hollows EP. <laughs> Another one, not a Halloween band, though. That's right. Hey, come on, fellas. Uh, Even though there's a, a scream in the background and an owl hooting. <laughs> Owing. Um, <laughs> I was going to ask you before we started recording, what is your sin into? What is my what? Your what is my into? sin into? It's the lyrics for the song, your sin's into me. I think it, he's mispronouncing son. Oh, I see. I Whatever. See. Uh, so this song, the first weird thing that happens in this song is coming up here. Let's hear it. They talk about, in that review, leaving the metallic AFI sound behind, and then all of a sudden we get this weird metallic robot drum beat kicking in there. But just for a little bit. Just for a tiny little yeah. sample. And I guess they did that. They did a little bit in Art of Drowning as well, and mm-hmm. throughout this album, it's like, every once in a while it's like, 
hey, we kind of like the sound of electronica stuff. We don't want to fully commit to it yet, but mm-hmm. there's something going on there. Um, but what do you think of this song? This song has, and I'll, I'll, this is another thing I'll revisit a little bit later. Sure. This reminds me a lot, especially the chorus of like Green Album era Weezer. Interesting. So mainly the chorus in this if, song? If you listen to the chorus, the beginning somewhat, but when you get to the chorus, I like, I have a hard time thinking of anything else. That's really interesting. Let's take a listen to the chorus here. I've never thought about that. And at first mm-hmm. I was like, well, maybe it's like a slowed down Weezer. But then I thought, no, no, that would totally fit at that tempo. Yeah. Now I really want to hear a Weezer cover of Silver and Gold. <laughs> I know. I, I was thinking the same thing, too, when I was taking my notes down. Huh. Did you end up liking this song? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay. This one, I'm not too crazy about. It's a little bit too mopey for me. Like, yeah. the whole repetition later on about, like, cold in life's throes. It's a, it's a little, little bit much. Yeah. Also, but- it's one of those where it's really demonstrating Davey has a knack for old literature or something like the lyrics uh here you in somber resplendence Mm -hmm. do you think he's going out of his way to come up with those words or is it just that he's absorbing so much Edgar Allan Poe and nonsense at the time that he can't help but get those words out there I think he's trying to get those words out there kind of like when like later on he's got the song that uh, references chrysanthemums yes (laughs) it's like all right, there you go. Called his grandma. I was like, what's the most hardcore sounding flower? <laughs> uh, so the song, even though it's a little bit mopey, it does get to a climax here that we'll kick into. I really want to hear Weezer <laughs> cover it this It really song. would be interesting. Maybe change some of the lyrics, makes it make it a little bit less sad. Yeah. Um, overall, I think the song is a little bit too repetitive and not yeah. that interesting lyrically, mm-hmm. I guess is my takeaway. Although something that really clicked for me on this song that I was thinking about is it's always, I think AFI does a really good job of this. All of like their love ballads are gender neutral. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people always debate like, oh, is Davey gay? What's going on with his sexuality? Yada, yada, yada. But I think the gender neutrality works really well. And AFI has a pretty strong female fan base. And I wonder how much of that is spawned from the neutrality of a lot of their love songs. Hmm. Like he's never like, oh, That's interesting, girl. yeah. Yeah. If you just listen for like the love theme songs in the future, they're all pretty specific like that, I think. Okay. So that eliminates the possibility that Weezer will ever <laughs> try to cover them. <laughs> Weezer needs to constantly remind people. All right, so there's a music video associated with Silver and Cold. Oh, boy, there is. I, I prefer to call it a saga, really. I it said really how I wanted a storyline for my music videos, and this third video from Sing the Star really has a hell of a storyline. Oh, my God. We open up. Yeah. It's a coffee shop. The boys in the band, minus Sir, Sir David Havoc, are That's right. drinking coffee, as you do. When the telephone rings, they get a cafe phone call. Sure. It's important. so important that they... Drop the phone and the receiver's left dangling. And because just, it looks cool. It looks so They're cool. all looking at it as they're running out the door. It's like a grandfather clock's pendulum, uh-huh. which really is symbolic about how much time we all have reigning on this earth. It's imperfect time. Yeah. So anyway, Davy is on a bridge. Uh, it looks like a very European city. It's Prague, apparently. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm i not going to lie here. Yeah. I honestly was like, 
It's kind of proggy. It's a little bit prog town. Yeah, it's yeah. proggy, but I didn't want to blow it. So anyway, because I remember like uh, a bird shit on my head in Prague on my birthday. As you were trying to jump off and removing your watch. It made me wanted bridge. to wash my head off in the nearest <laughs> river, but whatever. <laughs> anyway, so basically it's him contemplating jumping off a bridge while the band is like, Running down the street in slow motion, which is not a great idea. And then they carjack a guy. It also, not to criticize them, they're musicians, but mm-hmm. all they had to do was run out of that coffee shop and their acting did not convince me. No. It's, if you ever wanted to see poor acting with just people running, you can probably <laughs> look to the Silver and Cold video from AFI. But yes. Yeah. So then they, they eventually, they run so far that they're like, hey, you know what? We should just drive. And so Adam apparently is a massive race car fan. He... <laughs> if it's like a big rig it's got like this little sports car has like 50 gears that he's shifting constantly <laughs> and meanwhile davy he's like slowly taking off his jewelry is that a thing people do before they jump off was, a bridge he was testing gravity or something apparently he's like let's make sure this works here in prog <laughs> so he sure. took his silver watch off oh drops it into the water and he mouths it's cold it's like in the so matrix cold. i will and then he drops his silver ring. Right. And he takes off his little outer shirt, or is it a coat? I don't remember. Sure. Band, man, there's like whipping around corners, power sliding. And uh, unfortunately, there's a truck that's like turning diagonally in the street in a really weird way. And then the car explodes. The car explodes. Apparently, it was just full of gasoline vapor. <laughs> explodes. And apparently, that was Davy's master plan because he sees that and he's like, Time to put on my outer shirt slash coat and walk away slowly. So I can go fish my watch out of that river. <laughs> exactly. Down a watch and a band, but so, things are looking good. It's also revealed that Davey was on the phone, theoretically calling them to yeah. trigger them to do this. Exactly, because he walks out of a payphone. Right. So Oof. therefore, his plan is just to kill the rest of the band? It seems like a super sh- plan. It's a little bit shitty. And then also... <laughs> uh, because I, everyone else is running toward the, to help or see what's going on. They're all burning up inside. And he's just walking away in slow motion. Yeah. Like he doesn't have a care in the world. Uh, Wikipedia says that in the video, it's implied that he's a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> That's what it says. So he's like throwing his ghost watch off. <laughs> what the... How was that implied that he's a ghost? Maybe I missed something, but I certainly did not notice them implying that Davy's a ghost that's about to commit suicide, which would then bring him back to life. Maybe that's what the band was trying to stop. I can understand that if it if it was at the end, you see here lies Davy Havoc and <laughs> on his grave, and then uh-huh. like a phone cord, like the telephone line was really close to his grave, and that's how he was able to Twilight make the call. Twilight Zone style. Twilight Zone style. That's right. But if he's just a ghost who walks into a payphone does he have to wait for someone to leave before he can use the payphone or does he like phase through them and uses it yeah and he has to hope that they left change in the slot his little <laughs> ghost fingers rubbing through there he didn't have any ghost bucks <laughs> that's a ridiculous assumption it's implied <laughs> i would defy anyone to watch that yeah and and find any kind of like oh yeah that's totally what this is about that's it, ridiculous it's a bummer that we have to go through these two music videos before we get to the girls not great video which i do think is the best music video of the bunch uh but since we're going through the track listing this yep. way we get these two kind of duds and davy with a beautiful flowing mane oh so much hair all right to make up for the supposed bummer that silver and cold is mm-hmm. next song dancing through sunday yeah when i heard this album for the first time i remember getting this track and being like here we go. 
This is them throwing the old fans a bone. Let's kick into overdrive. So let's listen to Dancing Through Sunday. in misery yeah uh, the chorus in particular really reminds me of tiger army i'm sure nick 13 from tiger army was singing in the background there but mm-hmm. it is very tiger army kind of feel to it uh cork what'd you think of dancing through sunday this is another song that is really like a really good song yeah and it's best if you just try not to listen to the lyrics because it's, it's really absurd when you think about it um all about just too much dancing he's really into dancing it's the most dance focused song since footloose and he gets i think he gets so aggressive about dancing near the end right he's just like dance 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 yeah, you gotta dance you it's, dummy but it is cool to have this song in their arsenal for a live show like, oh my god you this get would the be crowd, amazing yeah if you want to get the crowd really engaged you just if have you to want, play dancing through yeah, sunday if you want them to dance here you go <laughs> we have just the thing and it's got i don't know if you have like a timestamp for it the guitar solo yes come on together the guitar solo it was like that was completely unexpected yeah well that's the point where everyone on stage then points to jade again and he goes nuts here's does he here's, really no but here's here's jade's i want to point guitar to, solo. to jade you can point to him right now. all right here i go <laughs> it's amazing when a guitar solo can make somebody laugh. <laughs> it's just so absurd. He really wanted to show what he could do. Oh yeah, he's making guitar solo face like that. I swear. Uh, I'm glad they put it in there. It is a fun little part to that song. Oh god, it, it's kind of harkens back to la di da, like old stuff. Yeah, too when they would kind of do their best to shred. But also right. made me sad because it reminded me how the bass here is just like a metronome. Like it is dependable. Sure. It is doing its thing, but it doesn't seem like the bassist is allowed to have any fun anymore. There's well, not any more like super crazy stuff. They're never going to swing it over for a bass solo? Yeah. The bass lines are always pretty simple, like I said. Yeah. And that's interesting. That's about right. I always really enjoyed the like the bass parts in the older stuff. Too. Yeah. Like the first couple albums. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. The part that the song... It's so stupid and it's so literal, but I cannot get it out of my head. But like the breakdown, mm-hmm. I can only envision like coming back from a commercial for a NASCAR race. Yeah. And them giving like a little bit of highlight reels before like just highlight footage before they get back into the main discussion. Here's here's just match that with the way this sounds. Okay, I'm thinking. That's that's about it. Yeah. It's such a stupid little translation, but I cannot get the image of NASCAR out of my head when I hear this. <laughs> Maybe it's because I'm not much of a dancer. Yeah. Uh, are you a dancer? No. Okay, great. When's the last time you danced? Last time I danced was I was colossally drunk at a wedding. Perfect. Probably like 14 years ago. 14 years ago? Yeah. Holy crap. I'm a dancer. 
So are you the guy at weddings that like sits off to the side? Mm. During the dancing jubilation? Usually. Okay. Yeah. It's a small part. I mean, there are usually tables at weddings, so it's not like I'm just a like a wallflower at a middle school dance or something like that. I guess so. Right. But does a small part of you always wish, like, God, I wish I could go up there and really just let loose? Because they're unquestionably having fun. Oh, yeah. And you could have that fun if you could just get out of your head a little bit. Oh, my God. At my own wedding, my mom tried to get me to do what I would call a fast dance with her. Oh, and God. I was just mortified. It was like the most awkward time. What's a fast I love her dance? dearly. Just like just a regular dance kind of thing where she was like, I don't know. I'm an idiot. But it was just like, I don't want to dance. It's tough. And I, I mean, felt like a huge asshole because it's like my mom wants to dance with me. Wait, did you wedding. say no? I just kind of got up there and half-heartedly <laughs> stood. <laughs> and then got to go. That's the title of your autobiography. I think. Yeah, basically. Half-heartedly stood. <laughs> uh, yeah. Dancing is a really tough thing. I'm I'm incredibly jealous. Like I was just in Mexico not too long ago, and there's a lot of dancing going on there. Like every night they'd always have like a live band playing, mm-hmm. and like they'd have like staff from the hotel like going around trying to grab people, like bring them up and dance. There's this one lady who kept on her asking me about it. It's like, all right, I'll yeah, I should do this. This is the thing I should do. And I got up there and just like awkwardly tried to dance, and like you could see just the look on her face of like, oh god, no, and, like a little bit of a smirk of like, yeah. I wish I would have known that he could not dance at all and then like she was trying to teach me to do like the twirl around thing and it uh-huh. was just a disaster we ended up getting uh entwined like a creature from the thing just because i didn't know how to twirl Ugh, it was the worst it's something that i wish i could do but i am just so painfully self-aware yes of myself yes and yeah i just yeah i cannot do that it's okay at some point cork you really let loose are we gonna at afi when we see him live mm. let's make a pact yeah we will dance together yeah let's do I, it i think that sounds real great i right. dance afi shows i mean dance just kind of throwing myself leave. around let's yeah yeah it. it's always it's always a good time all right all right moving on to the next song this is girls not great with the fancy european spelling that's okay. right that's right well it's more regal mm-hmm. uh so not knowing this album not knowing the song did you expect that this was a single does it sound singly mm- Honestly, this one had me wondering the entire time, what is the single here? Oh, really? Whereas before Days of the Phoenix, immediately you're like, this is the single, I know for sure. Yeah, kind of, yeah. But yeah. this one, not so much? Yeah, this one, I was kind of, like, when it said, we were talking about when it hit Billboard right. number, f- like, top five, I was like, on what? Oh, the Billboard. I mean, I like this whole album, don't get me wrong. I think it's, like like I said, it's a fantastic album, but sure. there was nothing that just stood out as like, oh, this is the single. Huh, interesting. Did you like Girls Not Grey? Yeah. I think I misspoke earlier, by the way. This was in Madden 2004. I'm not leaving song. Unless they both were, both were. But I think it was this one. Oh, yeah. They, Which, it, when you hear this song, all you can think of is football, obviously. Oh, my God. NASCAR, possibly. <laughs> we'll see. All right. Let's give a listen to the chorus from Girls Not Great. A lot of following in this song. Mm-hmm. Everything's following. Yeah. I think what's interesting about this song for me is that um, Dancing Through Sunday did something similar, and this does it as well, where sure. it, like layers are peeled back, and it's mm-hmm. basically like a, um, a really simple like guitar part, and then uh, Guy Normal is either like 
doing like some symbol rolls or whatever you would call that right and dancing right. through Sunday and here he's doing like a, a like nice staccato drum beat yeah on the snare uh so I, I like that and it seems like like what you played the chorus isn't really indicative of it but it seems like this is one of those songs that it, like the production kind of knows when to let a song breathe a little bit Okay. You know, like, it, it doesn't always have to be just noise and layers of noise. Sure. Like, the cool. the slow breakdown yeah. kind of allows for that. Yeah, I can see that. I think, uh, I still think of this song as, like, the AFI single. Since, like, this was AFI's big blowout record, and this was, like, the first single. It's, like, whenever I think of the over-listened-to AFI singles, mm-hmm. this is one that always comes to mind, even though, apparently, it's the third most popular uh, AFI song. Okay, number time. two. Oh, well, those will come later. Oh, I can't God. tell you. But there's one in particular that... I guess technically has surpassed Girls Not Gray, and it's kind of a similar kind of vibe. When I hear it, will I know it? I bet you will have heard, it's on the next album, I bet you will have heard that song a fair amount of your life. Um, I think this song, it's lyrically more interesting than Mm -hmm. I remembered. Um, Like Just like the line, I'll lay me down tonight, much further down. Uh, What follows has led me to this place where I belong with all erased. It's kind of a cool little twist. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, there is a part here where it's like, as an older AFI fan listening to this album, I was just waiting for those little moments. I'm like, okay, that, that is classic AFI. They're still mm-hmm. around. And every once in a while, there's little glimmers. Uh, and like some of the guitar work here, it, it sounds pretty old school, but let's take a listen. This is like kind of the higher pitch stuff. Mm-hmm. And then they go back to following. Hang on, there is a scream here that I have thoughts on. That like Davy echoey scream in the background. I always, it's such a nerdy thing, but it's like, oh, he's kind of doing the old school Davy scream. Like Mm -hmm. the ghost of the former sound (laughs) of AFI is still in this album somewhere. Yeah. Uh, Because like you mentioned earlier, I think it's like before we even started recording, it is weird to think that it is the same band. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you forget how different it sounds, but you go back again just to like A Winner's Tale, which we covered in the last episode, and it's like, oh yeah, Davey was singing in a completely different way. This yeah. is all completely shifted. And it's not that it's necessarily lower pitch, which is the way it's often described, but with Sing the Star, it's still a lot of really high-pitched stuff. It's just yeah. Davey has changed up his voice so dramatically. Uh, this is like Seriously, this has been really fascinating for me. Oh, just good. to hear the... Yeah, the transitions between the albums, like, it's so gradual yeah. that you, you, doesn't really, you don't really notice it so much while it's happening. Right. I mean, there are some things you're like, oh, wow, this is pretty different. But but then if I if we were to go listen to the first album again, it would be really jarring yeah. at this point. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, this song contains a line, what follows will swallow whole, mm. which I think holds true in terms of AFI's popularity and their signature sound. Yeah, they do have a signature sound. What do you think of this music video? Oh, let's look at this. This is this is your favorite one, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Okay, I I don't. I guess I do like this video. It's freaking weird. I remember watching it a lot, trying to understand what was happening. This is the one with the old blue bunny in the red field mm-hmm. and them playing in that alley. Uh, did you enjoy this music video? Yeah, that weird field thing. I think that was like a leftover set from Heart Shaped Box. That's right. Video. I was thinking it looked like a planet in No Man's Sky, but yeah, I think that uh, it all encompasses the same thing. And it was either like 
white petals that were falling down the whole time or like little pieces of trash i couldn't really they're probably tell. white petals which is what the yeah. anime girl explodes with at the yeah. end so what do you think was, was I think happening that, in this well this first video? of all i think that the video it's on youtube is at 240p uh-huh. so it was quite difficult to make out what exactly was going on sure it was a rabbit I hate to spoil things. That was a giant blue rabbit. That a, yeah, it was a rabbit and like anime girl. Yeah, thing, which was exciting for me because I was really into anime at the time too. And it's like, oh, AFI kind of is doing anime with a live action lady. That's cool. Yeah, the wow, she's horrifying though. <laughs> live action anime lady. So the plot, as I can see it, is mm-hmm. AFI. They're playing in an alley, and they all. But you don't know it's an alley. At, right. at the beginning because it's like these weird turquoise walls sure that are pretty close together and a turquoise floor and you also don't really get a good look at the band it's all kind of silhouette mm-hmm. but then uh this rabbit lures this anime girl inside of jade's body is mm-hmm. the portal unclear if they had a debate about that and jade is like it's my body damn it <laughs> so then they, go, they go inside and then the rabbit runs across this red planet uh sees afi and like points to him she sees them, is excited, and then explodes into a bunch of flower petals, and then those all burst out of real Davy Havoc's chest in the real world. Mm. Uh, and then they're also they're all black and freaky looking. Yeah, they look like they kind of look like Nightcrawler from the X Men movies. Yeah, you get like flashes of that too, right? Right. Like, is it the Bunny World? They look normal, right? Yeah, yeah, it's in the Bunny World where they <laughs> okay. look normal. The Bunniverse. Yeah. Uh, so it's a fun, weird little saga. Yeah, and then at the very end, it pulls back and you go, oh, it's an alley. Right. So you kind of blew that surprise there. Well, whatever. It's a big reveal. That's not the weirdest thing about this music video. The, what, weirdest, thing the weirdest thing is it's directed by a guy named David Slade. Okay, break it down for me. He also directed a music video for the Stone Temple Pilots called Sour Girl. Okay. So, okay, no big deal. You watch that video, Sour Girl, mm-hmm. it also stars freaky people in bunny costumes in like an open field with the band does he have like a timeshare on an open field is that what's going on he's like i gotta maximize my investment what am i gonna do with all these bunny costumes <laughs> it's a weird coincidence like when he's pitching it do you think afi like knew that music video They're like oh you're just describing your last music video he's like hey this is what i do if you want the best of bunny videos <laughs> You got it. <laughs> it's a weird detail. Um, but I still think it's a it's a pretty fun little music video. Yeah. Apparently about a Venus flytrap-esque Alice they, in Wonderland world. And this was in heavy rotation on television at the yeah, time? Yeah, MTV was super, super into Girls Not Grey. Really? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It was a big one. But, but. should we move on to Death of Seasons? Oh, let's do that. Okay. Um, let's listen to the very beginning of Death of Seasons. What is this sound? I don't know. It's another hardcore bone they're trying to throw, but it's a weird Davy yeah. singing voice. But wait. So alive. And this right so, here is like standard, like old school AFI or comparatively old school, right? Wait, that's what you hear in this song? At the very beginning. The way he's singing in the beginning? It's yeah. such a different screaming voice, though. Oh, I apologize. It's it's, it's quite a bit lower this time around. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe they're talking about how Davey is sounding lower. It's 
just for the screaming voice. It definitely is. It's a weird, it's a little more growly in this one. Yeah. And also, like, they make it seem like kind of a hardcore song getting out of the gate, but then... Then this the, happens. Then the chorus here... But surely that poppy chorus is as weird and outlierish as this whole oh, song's going to get, can't, right? Oh, can't possibly get near. Oh, yeah. Hold on, Cork. This is the first time I think it's seen. And that's just like a quick one and done. It's a lot of one and done. This album and this song in particular, it just feels like so much weird experimentation. Like, like, hey, are you into this? Hey, what if I try? Oh, okay, not okay. What about this over here? I think the other dude had to like take a smoke break, and Butch Vig slid over and was like, "All right, here we go. Let's get back to producing my techno album." <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We're gonna garbage it up real quick. Also, oh, just gotta go. I got a really nerdy reference here. There's this sound, and it's like echoey pipe sounds here. But it reminds me of the Metal Gear Solid title screen. Mm. It's a deep cut. That's a deep cut. Sorry. Yeah, nerdy stuff. Right. Sorry to interject it in this I like, very pure podcast. I like the part where, in the course, they're all really upbeat and they're saying, is f***ing real. Okay. <laughs> this is this is the biggie. Yeah, like, I feel like whenever we wanted to make fun of this album, we'd just say, this hate is fucking real. Yeah. Uh, so I can actually jump to it here. <laughs> it's a really dopey line. Here we go. And it, the delivery does not help it. No. It's like, oh, the hardcore part yep. right here. And then this. <laughs> Man. It's, I think it's the biggest cringe moment on this album oh, maybe yeah. the thing that holds up least well uh-huh. i i understand they're trying to get their community rallied but people really adopted that like i even did like a search on twitter mm-hmm. uh just to see like is anybody still saying this hate is f-ing real <laughs> it's like yeah every once in a while people will tweet it out with it's like oh old school afi yeah this hate is f-ing real <laughs> it's such a dumb line i hate it yeah um but overall do you have thoughts on this song yeah it's interesting because this is another song Going back to his, he really likes the stars. Yeah. And a star cried while he right. was falling out of the sky. And I like the idea of the song where it's basically, he's just staring at the sky at night and all the stars are dying. Yeah. It's going to get real dark. It's, it gets dark. Uh, it opens with a line about dead space, which is mm-hmm. interesting. Um, also, it lyrically, it's just about humanity mm-hmm. and how he doesn't want to go out and interact with humanity because they're so corrupt and terrible uh like there's a line here out there so quickly grows malignant tribes post-human extinction excels unrecognized Mm -hmm. let's really break this down let's break it down out there so quickly grows malignant tribes Mm -hmm. so so he's inside he's inside that's looking out and the outside world tribal mentality oh you got your jocks right you got your art people the drama nerds that's right cheerleaders and their hate is not very real no correct 
post-human extinction excels unrecognized. All right, this is one that I grapple with because okay. this is this is an extinction following the presumed extinction of the human race because this is a post-human extinction, right? So post-human implies that right. people are already gone. Is that it's best so, when no one sees it? But no, uh, it depends on like the perspective of what is seeing it because people aren't there to see it or may- they're extinct. Maybe he's the post. Over. Maybe he's the post-human. He's like excelled to the next level, oh and then gosh. he's being wiped out, out, and no one's seeing it. Yeah, maybe that's what it's about. Except for all the crybaby stars. Yeah, what's the deal with those crybaby stars? Yeah. All right, that is death of season. Well, this song, just real quick. Yeah, like this song. I think it's. I'm sure this is not what they're going for. This is going to sound super condescending. I think it's almost endearing. It all the like. Here it is. This is all the crazy shit we could think about, like right. a kitchen sink kind of approach. Yeah. And in a way like that this hate, you know, is fucking real part. Right. Notwithstanding, I think it works for me just because it is I I think it's kind of fun just to see the ambition. Yeah. Whether or not it really works or is sure. What do you think about what do you think about this ending here? Oh yeah, this is the other part like, hey, here's some strings. <laughs> David floating off to the void of space at this point. <laughs> He's gently flapping his arms. Screaming still. Oh? Oh, baby? You out there? So I have a question. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Jeff. So when uh, post-human... <laughs> Extinction excels unrecognized? No, yeah, yeah when, when Davy leaves... Does he slowly flap his arms and fly away, or is he like a Lorax situation where he pulls mm. on his own collar and <laughs> pulls himself into the sky? Guaranteed. Looking down and goes, <laughs> I was real. <laughs> All right, moving on to great disappointment. You didn't ask for a question, but whatever. Yeah, it's, that, it's This it's is Lawrence. my great disappointment. <laughs> oh, oh, I see. Uh, let's listen to the beginning of Great Disappointment because uh, it's, it's been a while since I've listened to this album and when this one started out I was like oh you know what hmm. this song is awesome I forgot about this one uh, I think it has a really strong beginning yeah uh, and even like when the bass line kicks in uh, let's give a listen here It sounds so good. It does. Okay, listen to the transition of the guitar here. Mm-hmm. So it's like a little strumming, and then it has a really cool twist to it. Like, I'd like to see Jade sing that or play that live mm-hmm. and just make that switch to the little picking guitar there. Yeah. So this is like exactly what I'm talking about. I'm say that this album is sequenced really well. Cause sure. I think. The last song is that one, like, um, pulls itself up into the sky and fades out. Sure. It's such a great transition to this song. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's starting with a low-key thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that's a really good point. I can definitely see that. This song He's was- got, Don't sing about chrysanthemums, though. Yeah. Come on, man. Don't sing about chrysanthemums. <laughs> it's step one of rock and roll. Um, yeah. So this song, I think musically, I think the guitar work is better than I remember it. Mm-hmm. Uh the chorus is a little bit weaker than I remembered. Uh, it's coming up here. 
just sounds a little bit too high pitched. Like yeah. I like everything in the song except for the pitch of the chorus. I think. Yeah. I don't know. That's just my own thought. This is like, I think this is bordering a little too much on like lyrically, like the sad sack stuff. Sure. You know, which I honestly, aside from the the beginning of the song, which I agree with you, is really really strong. Yeah. This is one of those that I, when it's over, it's like, oh, okay, that was it. You yeah. Know, it's like I don't have a whole lot to say about it. Really. Yeah, I can see that. You know, it's just. It's just there. Uh, this is another good example on this album of kind of the layered sounds where it starts out with the first verse. Uh, it's pretty simple. And then when it gets to the second verse, it kicks in, but repeats the same line from the beginning, which is I can remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then this is the second verse. I can remember. It's like the heaviest sounding guitar on all yeah. of Sing of Sorrow. He can remember shrimp disability. That's what he says. Yeah, basically, this song is about him regretting going down the life that he went or just regretting not having the innocence and simplicity he used to have at some point in his life. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a moment in this song that makes me laugh. <laughs> uh, and it is right after the breakdown. Here we go. His O coming up here. Just the idea of like just singing in the same pitch. Oh, it's a weird thing for David to do. I think the evidence is really shaping up like maybe he is a ghost. (laughs) (laughs) Wikipedia was right. Strongly implied via singing. (laughs) He let it slip right there, you idiots. Listen to him. Uh, All right. That's great disappointment. I. Yeah, cool sounding song in some spots, but yeah. overall nothing too special. Not as special as I thought it would get to yeah. in the beginning. Um, next song, Paper Airplanes, parentheses, Makeshift Wings. Mm-hmm. Just pick a just pick a name. Yeah. Which do you prefer? I like Makeshift Wings. <laughs> okay, perfect. Uh, this is... Let's see if we can... Where's the chorus This at? song is catchy as hell. Is that true? Yeah. Okay, listen to the chorus here. Okay, the chorus is fantastic. So this one, he's basically singing about having to fake everything he's just as basically a walking corpse right well i took this song to be about kind of the fleeting nature of celebrity for others so he has lyrics where he's like as waves of plastic fame go out of fashion you're going out forever unknown these waves of plastic fame are drying up and i smile uh i took it as a little bit more about kind of celebrity he's saying forever unknown uh yes oh my god i thought he was saying forever alone, oh, <laughs> which makes no. me laugh so hard because it's like that stupid meme. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, he does okay, not get for, to meme Forever territory. unknown. Yes. I like forever alone. It, it is. It would be good. Uh, yeah. So I like the breakdown a lot in this song around this part. I'll see. 
has a hard kickback in coming mm-hmm. up. Kind of sounds a bit like Green Day. Mm-hmm. I still think it sounds really good. This is a more fun song than I remembered it being. Yeah, there's a like a lot of layering and harmonizing, which I have a soft spot for that kind of stuff. Yeah, definitely. It also, I mean, the lyrics about you know everyone plastic drying up and shriveling, uh, shriveling away, mm-hmm. but him living on forever. It kind of harkens back to the lyrics of Midnight Sun on Black Sails, where it, the refrain was like, "Beyond and to all time I stand." Uh, Davey has a, he's a confident guy, mm-hmm. lyrically. Yeah. Uh, also, this contains number four and five for O. Let's listen <laughs> to him. <laughs> That's a good one. Oh. Oh, it, yeah, very potent. Two right in a row. It's really a double whammy. Two right in an O. <laughs> Two right in an O. Uh, yeah, I like Paper Airplanes a lot. Mm-hmm. I, it didn't stand out to me too much as like, oh, I got to listen to this one. I'm looking forward to it. But Yeah, I think Makeshift Wings is one of my favorite songs on this album. Yeah, I'm a little bit country. All right, moving on to the celluloid dream. dream. Exciting stuff. Yep. Uh, let's, right out of the gate, see if we can increase that O number. Let's do it. Thank Yep. yep. <laughs> It has an interesting distorted sound as it like builds up to the chorus. I love that chorus. I really, really it's like so that good. chorus too. And just because, not only because it contains the word cinematic, mm-hmm. but I think it's definitely one of the strongest choruses on the album. Um, And also I think it's kind of funny because, let's see what the actual lyrics are. It's like, you land as lightly as the new snow, cinematic, onto the melting boy and melt away. Like the mm-hmm. whole song is lyrically just about like a temporary romance type of thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he's talking about the snow melting away. And then if you... Listen to it, and then at this part where he's screaming, mm-hmm. hear it as him as the snowflake. Okay. It's very amusing to me. So he's talking about snowflakes melting, <laughs> oh, and then no. this. That is my own stupid enjoyment. Let's see. What's he saying during that point? Uh, oh, God, I'm water. Uh, he's saying, oh, God, I'm water. Oh, so he says, as the snowflake bathed in your radiance, I melt. There you go. The hardcore snowflake. And then, of course, it's got this cool breakdown here. Dude, that part to me sounds like they're being a little bratty when they're saying all gray, that when everyone's chanting it. Right. They're like a bunch of little stinkers. <laughs> But it's still a really great song. Yeah, definitely. Uh, do you like this part where Davey really shows off his range? Why? Let's hear it, and I will tell you. 
Oh. Yep. I like it. That was really the showpiece. I wonder how that something like that comes around in the recording of an album. Like, this is the point where I'm going to hold this word and hit as many different notes as I possibly can. I think Butch Vig was hugging him goodbye as he was trying to sing a note and he was just squeezing and releasing and then it just came out. Treating Davey like a bagpipe? Exactly. <laughs> cool. All right. Celluloid Dream. There it is. Uh, moving on to The Leaving Song. The Leaving Song. Part one. Part two. So, Leaving Song. Man, I forgot how different this song sounds, but let's just take a listen. <laughs> It's just a almost country-esque song. It's like Elliot Smith's song. It sounds exactly like Elliot yep. Smith. Yes, exactly. And what I think what's interesting about this is like the first time in my magic car that has speakers that make music do the weird things. Anyway, right. um, the guitar part sounds deceptively simple. Like it's just a simple like strumming. Yeah. But if you listen closely to it, it's super complicated and it's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. I can definitely hear that. Here we go. Well, before this part. Yeah. It's like a slow Western triumph sound to the guitar here. Mm-hmm. Like if that was like a bigger production, that could be like the moment where like they're riding over the hill. Yeah. Am I pushing too hard with like the country theme to this or does that stand out to you too? I got more Elliot Smith than yeah. country, but yeah, yeah, I can see that. So how do you think this fits into your beautifully flowing album? Do you think this one works? It's kind of a little on the weird side, but I think yes, overall. Okay. Um, I like this song because it's simple, like just not musically necessarily, but it's just like a pretty sure. straightforward thing. Which they haven't had a lot of on this album at yeah, all. Yeah, it doesn't like... I'm glad they resisted the temptation of like, okay, we got to put some chance in here or let's just do a big blowout ending. Right. It was just like, this did it and left. I really like that. Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate it. It's the kind of oddity that, I feel like there's a lot of odd things on this album Mm -hmm. and this is one that I really, really appreciate. Maybe it is just because that stripped down simple version. It's a great one to like close a concert on. Mm -hmm. I wonder if, if like the production team had this kind of, like lead them to not do that because it seems like that's more like a band tendency right because they've done that almost all that's true previous stuff is like almost always have like chants right even like they're kind of supposedly low-key songs at the Mm -hmm. end of the album or like the hidden track stuff like that they'll still tech yeah always kind of layer things in a big blowout yeah at the end where they repeat the same thing but right louder which is cool i like that too but I, i also like just leaving it as is yeah definitely and the fact that it doesn't really have any connection to Leaving Song Part 2. Yeah. Yeah. Odd one. That is really weird. Uh, so, next song is the last official track on Sing the Sorrow. And dot, dot, dot. That's right. But Home is Nowhere. Uh, interesting fact, it's actually spelled B-U-T-T. <laughs> yeah. All right. It's Butthole is Nowhere. I think actually it was a, the initial printing. Do you know the song Get It Faster by Jimmy Eat World? What album is that on? Uh, the one from like 2001, but I forget which one it is. Lead American? Is it that one? I remember. We can do a little comparison here, but the guitar in the beginning of this always reminds me of that song. All right, that's the beginning Mm -hmm. of that song. And then this is Jimmy Eat World after this hot ad. Same producer, right? (laughs) 
Uh, he produced a later oh. uh, version. So he's getting on scot-free. He's not trying to pull one of those music video director scams. <laughs> Slade. <laughs> yeah, no, but I mean, in theory, if he's producing Jimmy World's later albums, you'd think uh-huh. that like he'd be a fan at this point. But this is the beginning of Get It Faster. Okay. <laughs> Is that Jimmy Eat World's album, The Downward Spiral? <laughs> I don't care what you All right, just the guitar in the background there. Getting no, nothing me. Don't wanna think from I mean, it's weird to make that comparison because it's such a simple song. Mm-hmm. So I'm not trying to put down uh, But Home is Nowhere for that one. But no. what do you think about uh, this, this track here? Uh, seriously, I think that I'm going to talk about sequencing one last time. Please. Just a perfect place to go from the leaving song. Okay. Yeah. Perfect place to close the album. Yeah. Okay. Let's listen listen to the chorus here. This is another great example of layering in. Mm-hmm. Uh, just constantly throughout the song, the music's getting more and more complex. Yeah. Uh, and he keeps this refrain of like 26 years, which is how old he is when mm-hmm. he wrote this song. It was released, album was released when he was 27, I guess. But I don't know if I ever really caught that before. The lyrics are so about Davey, and you can make the case that all AFI lyrics are about that. But listening to this one again, like it's, I think, the most personal song Davey Havoc has ever written mm-hmm. up to this point. It's all just about how he can't connect with anybody in the world, basically how he's going to die alone. Maybe I can just connect to this a little bit too much personally, but uh, it really, really stood out to me on this re-listen that, like, man, if you want to get to the core of who Davey Havoc is, like, this is the best glimpse into his soul, I feel like. Interesting. And you like this track? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It, the breakdown kind of unnerves me a little bit. Okay. It's got a really weird chord progression yeah here's 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 the breakdown here i think it sounds pretty cool when it starts building up to it here That's the part that you feel un- is unnatural. It just seems, yeah, this it a little bit kind of weird. Yeah, is that a double O? Is that a it's multi-syllabic? Not, I wouldn't o? count that as an O. I need like the single punch of the O, so I'm okay. not going to count that. But it's, it feels just like him trying to be more hardcore and then layering in a little bit of that new O ish, O ish flavor <laughs> over the top of it, I guess. Uh, but yeah, I mean, just back to the idea of it being the saddest song on the album. I mean. He goes on and on about uh, having nothing inside of him to put on stage and has like the whole showman metaphor about the director starting the show and whatnot. Yeah. And he's uh, talking about celluloid. A lot of celluloid stuff. Uh, here's a line where he says, still speaking in these tongues, understood by no one, pieced together, incomplete and empty. Uh, 
So you got to wonder how much the speaking in tongues thing is going for his music angle. I wonder if he is frustrated that no one's understanding his poetic lyrics. Because mm. ultimately, I think this album more than any other just kind of cements the idea that Davey is ultimately just a guy that really likes to write poetry. Yeah. Has a really cool screaming voice and really likes poetry. Yep. That's that's the core, Mr. Havoc. Like cutting off your wiener so you could join a women's bowling league. That's exactly right, Court. That's exactly yeah. it. I'm glad you understand that. He said that he's not heard by anyone, but yeah. I beg to differ. He's not a squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So then that song bleeds into This Time in Perfect. Oh, boy. <laughs> and now we're going to listen to it in its entirety. Oh, God, no. No, please. so this is like the build up to the hidden track, but instead of just silence, they have uh some is that what you call that the the first and i wrote this down first four minutes and 20 seconds of this are build up to the actual song i guess so i mean when you re-listen to this album did you skip this part every time or um i would say about half the time okay yeah that's fair so it has a somewhat interesting structure even if it takes a while let's just listen to the transition here So it's that simple repetitive piano mm-hmm. with a kid reading what sounds like a children's book about the end of the world. I think it's actually uh, dialogue from Tim Burton's adaptation of Planet of the Apes. Oh, it is. <laughs> makes perfect sense. Yep. And then it transitions to someone else taking over. Oh, this creeps me out. Really? <laughs> Feels like he's too close to me. You tell that the lights are dimming in here? Not stars. So that's Davy speaking in the middle then with the strings kicking in yep. as they're continuing uh, the dialogue about the end of the world. And before that, there's like an old guy. Right? Well, there is right here then. Or is it? It's after, after? Davy. Okay. Here it is. The piano comes back and the old man kicks in. I kind of like it when it's not Davy. Like, I like the sound of the kid's voice, I like the sound mm-hmm. of the old guy's voice. It's a bummer that you have to listen to it every time, I guess, if you just want to listen to the album. But I, it's a nice little piano melody. Yeah, I like that. But this, like, my ultimate question is, like, who is this four minutes and 20 seconds for? Right. That's totally Especially because you actually you have an actual song that begins Yeah. After that. Yeah, so here is the actual song of this time in perfect. I'm drawn to a black and sky is a There are no flowers, no not this time. There'll be no angels gracing the lines, just these dark words I find. I guess this is a good example of what you're talking about before, where it starts out as a pretty simple song, mm-hmm. and then it, of course, gets more and more layered yeah. uh, before the breakdown. Uh, it's a cool song lyrically. I like that line, there are no flowers, no this time, there are no angels gracing the lines, just these dark words I find. Um, did you enjoy this song? It, it's funny you say that dot, 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 um, but home is na- nowhere. Right. Is his most personal yeah. song. Because I think, for me, this seems like like if... 
I have to extrapolate what is Davy Havoc reduced to a single song. I sure. would say this feels like it's more personal. Okay. And this is one of the few times that he's actually sounded vulnerable in his music without reversing it and doing it like, wait, oh, by the way, I'm also vastly superior to you. And or I'll show you, I'm going to hang myself. You know sure. what I mean? Like he's always got kind of a twist to kind of pull the rug out from underneath that the last yeah. second. And this one is just straight up. And it doesn't seem like it, like a played up sad sack kind of thing either. Yeah. It seems like emotionally honest. Yeah, especially with the refrain of like, you have no idea how much this hurts me mm-hmm. uh, by the end. Uh, let's listen to a little bit of the later part of the song. Talking about his friend, the ghost. Yep. There we go. Number seven. Yep. Yeah, it's a powerful, relatively simple song. Mm-hmm. But I think that Guns N' Roses would cover this one really nicely. <laughs> okay. Like, prime Guns N' Roses. Prime Guns N' Roses. Not now. Maybe so okay. much. I can see that. Yeah. What? Okay, there's like a bunch of backwards crap at the end. Yeah. Talk so to me about that. There's thing. some funky rewinding and a bunch mm-hmm. of other stuff at the end, uh, which I guess ties into the idea, if you want to go down this rabbit hole no pun intended Uh of sing the sorrow as a concept album Mm -hmm. so when this album came out maybe even before afi was teasing like certain things over and over and over again uh the numbers three three six and then seven Mm -hmm. obviously three three six was the vinyl people have taken it to mean like before and then three three seven is like the reincarnated new afi um, and all this nonsense. So a lot of fans have spent a lot of time trying to piece this whole thing together about what the hell is happening. Uh, would you like to hear a fan theory? Yeah. It's it's raw. It's from a message board. Okay. But I think it gets a glimpse into what people are trying to wrap their minds around with Sing the Sorrow. So uh, 337 is a recurring theme. 3 by 37 equals 111. I'm not positive, but I hear that 777 represents God or perfection. In Transference, Davey wrote, I'm 111 less than perfection. 777 minus 111, then mark of the beast. Seven denotes spiritual perfection. In Esoteric Astrology, 336 represents physical death. There were only two songs on the 336, well, 336 album. Uh, some of the lyrics on one of the songs say, We're all now in dying days. I gave up fighting. I've come to be these halos. 337 represents the act of reincarnation. This is important. In Chinese astrology, Davy Havoc is technically a rabbit. He was born year of the rabbit. Rabbits cannot be reincarnated in Chinese astrology. Rabbits are on their last life in this world and do not have another chance. In numerology, Dave's life path number is three. Okay, it keeps going. So this is where I think it gets interesting. The whole CD goes in a circle. The sounds at the end are backwards. They end in the same beat and same key as the beginning of the CD. It's one continuous loop, which is fine. I feel like they've even done that. Like, and now the world, uh, it kind of also loops. The but wall. That's right. Loops too. Basically, the whole theme is death and reincarnation and the fact that he, Davey, cannot reincarnate again. 
Look at the song lyrics. Although each song as a whole isn't about this, there are specific lines that corroborate this theory. For example, uh, nothing from nowhere, I'm no one at all. Discarnate means being bodiless, uh, like floating in time and space, yada, yada, yada. Uh, there are other questions as well, like why are the leaving songs out of order? Well, since the CD is one big circle, we don't believe that it actually begins with Miseria Cantare. At the end of Clandestine, which is the movie we'll talk about in a bit, there is breathing. Just like at the beginning of Bleed Black, there's breathing. I believe the album begins with Bleed Black. So if it starts with Bleed Black for the loop, the breathing at the beginning could represent life. That would put the song whose lyrics say, Recreate Me, and I Know I Died That Night. Uh, They would make more sense. So playing that as the first song and going full circle around the CD, that puts the leaving songs into order and ends with the leaving song part two, which has the weird death stuff at the end of it uh now some people think that dave dies over the course of the cd some say that the death occurs during this time imperfect that would make sense that miseria cantari would be the beginning from nowhere bodiless then comes leaving song part two uh whose very lyrics say don't waste your touch you won't feel anything because in theory davy is dead uh the lyrics in spanish that he sings are about like returning to that spot like being reborn the circle of birth and death and rebirth also, the fact that the poem is read as in the three stages of his life at the end for before the secret song, like he's aging through it. So, yeah, it's pretty creepy, is what they say. Jesus. And that's from TXAXNXDX. What does that mean? <laughs> well, let's really dive into it. According to Chinese <laughs> astrology. So there was so much intrigue around this album as to why the leaving songs were out of order. It's an interesting album in that it's poppier than normal, but it is a complex album and so people are constantly trying to read into this mm -hmm. especially with afi teasing some of that imagery as much as they did because uh, they were really really into that stuff um especially with clandestine which is the short film that came with the dvd clandestine is that how you say that well you can go either way okay but with that uh it released as a special edition uh of the cd and it's you watched it today i did what do you think of this short film was it made as part of a 48-hour film festival? It certainly feels that way. Because I, I was I was really into video production at the time. I remember seeing this and being like, I could have made this. It's really cheap looking. It's just them running through the woods. It And it is it is not good. No. It, it seems like something that someone made who thinks that they are smarter than they are. Which I'm not mm -hmm. saying that the band are a bunch of dum-dums. But... That the movie is terrible. It's pretty bad. It is it is super like self indulgent and you can tell that someone thought highly of themselves when it was all over like there. Right. Where I, are our awards? I thought watching this short film that this is a visual representation of the ambiguity of Davy's lyrics. If you take the kind of lyrics that he's going for mm -hmm. in this era of AFI Move it to another medium. That medium isn't quite film, but maybe student project. <laughs> that is what clandestine looks like. You can find it on YouTube if you want to watch it. Should we but break it down? Basically, what it's it's Pulp Fiction. Like there's a mysterious uh, briefcase that they're all and it looks like the album cover. Get. Yeah, and it looks like the album cover, which is a really great design. I love those red leaves mm -hmm. falling. I think it looks really cool. Yeah. Um, but so Hunter is hanging out in the forest. He's like running to the classroom. Room 37? Room 37. The clock they're always showing is at 333. 
Mm. Uh, Jade is, or Adam's playing poker and there's like a rabbit on the table. They're playing the weirdest game of poker too. It just seems like guys who don't know how to play poker just fondling cards for a while and then laying them down. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. Um, and then uh, stuff like Davies in a coffee shop, again with the coffee shop theme. He's getting kissed randomly randomly by a woman at exactly 3.33 before the box is stolen. Mm. Uh, all that fun stuff. Jade is in a house. He finds the box and then he jumps into the black bathtub because people are after him. Mm-hmm. More bathtub stuff, going back to some of the earlier music videos. And then it all ends with them like on the beach from Seventh Seal opening the box and they're all like amazed by what's inside, but you never see what's inside. Yeah. It Davy does what I consider a completely unnecessary double take to Jade and like they kind of open their eyes comically right. wide. <laughs> so I think that was a little overplayed, but a little whatever. overplayed. So it's it seems like a it has two different soundtracks, one by Hunter, one by Jade. Uh it's very much made to help fuel that mystery of like what are they getting at with all this 337 mm-hmm. stuff oh they're super into numerology what's with the rabbits everywhere yeah and there's also like a was that a chrysanthemum <laughs> was it of white it, it was of white yeah. and there was a like a watch on right. that poker table too oh and, okay and davy likes to throw those in the water i can't stand them yeah he probably wishes he'd been near that black bathtub <laughs> with that thing on my favorite is there's an episode of love line around this era that mm. AFI was on to help promote Sing the Sorrow and somebody called in and like when I first heard this I could not have been more on the edge of my seat because like these are the two things that I love and this is the perfect question somebody called in like hey Davey Jade what's with all this 337 (laughs) rabbits are roadkill white rabbit crap like it's just apparently this is a huge fan called into this national radio show and asked them about this weird ARG style tease that they're doing and they just immediately clammed up in kind of like a jokey way and they're like we don't know what you're talking about. We can't talk about that. And I think like, I'll have to listen to it again, but I got the impression that like Adam Kroll and Dr. Drew like thought it was something more serious that mm-hmm. they didn't really want to talk about. So like, oh, okay, let's move on. Let's move on. Aww. And not just some weird theme that they're trying to get throughout. But as far as I know, AFI has never gone on the record to talk about what the hell they were going for, whether these fan theories are anywhere close to being correct. Mm-hmm. I you assume sucks? they are. Huh? I think it sucks that people like to keep a sense of mystery going around something that's like a dozen years old. Like, I wish stuff like this, that the band would just break it down step by step. Here's what we were trying to do. This right. is what all this stuff means. Right. Because at this point, if like super fans like LX, 12, 14, or that's whatever, right. um, they've already had their time to parse this and try to figure it out. Right. Just as someone who casually, I just watched a video on YouTube. I want to know, what were you trying to do with this? I th- this expands to just... Things in general. Uh-huh. Like, like you a, want the government to be like, here's how we melted those steel beams. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, interesting. No, I'm completely with you, Clark. It's a great point. No, I like that, though. I, I like being surprised, and I like thinking about stuff, but I think that uh-huh. after 12 years, you should just be required to go on the record. So and, you want, like, Bob Zamuda to go on the record and be like, yeah, uh, what's his name? Gee, I can't remember his name and not... Uh, Andy Kaufman? Yes, that Andy Kaufman's dead. Like the joke's over. Like we're not going to keep this mystery alive anymore. Yeah, like when you dead. when you create a mystery, you have to write down what happened and put it in an envelope. Right. And mail it to yourself how the long, slowest way possible. How long should the average mystery last? Twelve years. Twelve years. Yep. Okay. I'm really into numerology then. And two plus one is three. <laughs> All right. Uh that's in the star. I mean, overall, listening to it again. It's a good album. 
yeah. for, I wasted too many brain cells back in the day trying to lock down my feelings on this thing. Like I remember playing a lot of Age of Mythology, this computer game that came out at the same time, mm-hmm. uh, and just listening to it over and over and over again. And then I was talking to a friend playing Age of Mythology. And he's like, yeah, what do you think of Sing the Sorrow? I was like, I don't know. It's just, uh, it's not the same AFI. I guess some parts are kind of cool. He's like, oh, it's just a good album. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I should just resign myself. And maybe yeah. all these years later, uh, 12 years later or whatever, I can finally admit that, yeah, it's just, it is a solid album. It doesn't have the highs mm-hmm. uh, of the previous albums. Like there's very few songs where I get like a F yeah kind of attitude. Yeah. But it's not really a, too much. I mean, it's not that aggressive of an album. And the times that they do try and get that aggressive, I don't think I'm too into. Might I recommend a song called Believe Black? Yeah, Listen man. to that one, baby. All right. So that's your number one favorite song. Yep. Least favorite song. Least favorite song. Let me see. I wrote it down. I, there's a question mark after it, though. Okay. Which is, I can weasel my way out of it if I if you give me too much resistance. Sure. I think maybe, and this is, I think it's a really strong album overall maybe the maybe a great disappointment okay yeah that makes sense i'll go with it i i realized my favorite is celluloid dream the chorus is really, oh, really fun that's a really really great song too yeah uh the makeshift wings is a, the biggest swing that i didn't ex- expect in the mm-hmm. rays of quality uh least favorite song is silver and cold i think silver and cold <laughs> that's exactly right uh so that's that's thing the sorrow Oh, we gotta review it. I, oh my gosh, let's do I'll, that. I'll give it I'll give it a good seven five. A seven five. Uh, maybe that's being stingy, but yeah, I'll stick with it. Oh, uh, this is a nine for me. Okay. I I really love this album. Yeah, it's undoubtedly a classic now. Like so many AFI fans, this is their AFI album. And I Oh cool. Totally so people like that. overall like now that things have settled down a little bit. I think uh, maybe so many fans were outraged right when it came out because mm-hmm. it did sound so different. But I think that this expanded the AFI fan base so much yeah. that there are so many people out there that this is like their first big AFI album and it'll be the pristine AFI. So mm-hmm. like the amount of people that are saying like, oh, you changed. What the hell happened? They're kind of being drowned out with the amount of people just that are nostalgic over Sing the Sorrow now. Yeah. Um, but that is that is Sing the Sorrow. That was a doozy of an episode. Well, it's a doozy of an album. It really is. I hope we did it justice. Uh, please leave your feedback in the comments below, or you can tweet at us with your thoughts. We've never done that, but I'm Yozetti on Twitter, Y-O-Z-E-T-T-Y. And I'm G-I Jeff, the letter G, the letter I, and then J-E-F-F. No underscores or any of that business. You got it. Keep it simple. Keep it simple, stupid. Cool. Sing to Sorrow. Yep. So coming up next. Is it an EP? No, it is a full album mm-hmm. called December Underground. December Underground. One word, December Underground. Oh, <laughs> Why are they going to do that? Yeah, it'll be an interesting one. It, I'm I'm really curious to hear this one again. Not quite as curious as Sing the Sorrow, but it should be an interesting little ride. So be sure to tune in next week where we will give a full breakdown of AFI's December Underground. And until next time, AFI. AFI. <laughs>